Welcome to The Deep End with Filterzine. Make sure you subscribe for more interviews with your favourite artists. Right, we are back at Filter Headquarters this week with another special guest in the building, uh, chilling at 420. What's going on, oh, bro? Thanks for having me through, Kev. Muchly appreciated. We've got a lot to talk about, man. You do, but I must <laughs> say, you won me over with the free fireball. Oh, I'm you want to start off with a shot fireball? Let's go for a shot. Yeah, off I'm the not back. as crazy as you, but you go ahead. I'll just. Well, this it. is like the two that I had off camera don't count, but. Mm. Fuck it. Cheers to that. Thanks for having Cheers, me bro. through. More life and more success, Kevo. <laughs> so, start of this year, you had FOMO Festival. I think it's big for you. I think probably your first touring festival. You did all the pre-shows as well. Yeah. Pretty crazy, man, because I came down and saw you at the Sydney one and pulling crowds of that size in the early afternoon, it's it's a pretty good achievement, yeah. man. Yeah. I, 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 specifically that Sydney one, I was not expecting much. Yeah. Being a Sunday afternoon, I'm like, oh, look, you know, you're good. to have the crowd turn out like that. And like you said as well, that was my first real festival run and getting to do something real proper. So it was just a blessing. And it's so good to see the fans that were there at that first 200-man show we played at that FOMO festival. It's kind of like they're riding this wave with me. So, um, yeah, it's been a blessing, man. It's been super, super cool. I'm just enjoying every moment of it while I can. The Melbourne one looked fucking crazier than Sydney, which is like, you know, Sydney, you think the hotel show, but it was raining on the Sydney one. You know, yeah, I'll give them that, that, but like the Melbourne one that. was like... But you know what? You know <laughs> as well with doing the stuff with Triple One. Melbourne just loves to throw... Like, Melbourne just love a live show. Yeah. Doesn't even matter what it is. Melbourne just loves to come down and party. So, um, yeah, Melbourne was good. Brisbane was good. Adelaide was a bit quiet, but again, it was pissing down rain. It was an earlier set than most of them. But, man, just in general, the experience was mad. Shout out to Giggs. Had a mad chill with Giggs. Got to smoke him out some joints. So, uh, big up to Giggs. Um, big up to Kate Trinata, Brockhampton, everyone I met on the festival. It was um, a blessing and an amazing experience, man. For a kid from Hurstville, it just spins me out sometimes to be doing some of the shit that I do. Yeah, for sure. Talk about spinning out. I was on my phone the other day, and you know, memories comes up from this time last year. A lot of people don't know that this time last year, you played a show with 1-4 at the factory. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes. That just shows you how much progress there's been, because if yes. you put on chilling at 1-4 on one show in 2020, the crazy. internet might explode. It was, you know <laughs> what, it was crazy too, because I remember meeting all those boys and they were so humble to meet me, and I was just like, man, these, they just, they reminded me of a football team, to be honest. There was like 13 of them, they're all mm. massive, and I'm just like, yo, mm. nice to meet you boys. And then as soon as they got on stage, the energy was huge, and I remember, Every motherfucker, every MC backstage was watching and we were like, mark my words, they're gonna be something big. And to their credit, they fucking are like, well, you know what's a mad thing right now? If you go on YouTube, one, two, and three trending is one, four, Hooligan Hefts, myself, and then followed by Young and Lips. Young and Lips is like five or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, yeah so it's, it's mad, you know, it's yeah. good. I just love seeing people win. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm not one of those guys who gets motivated by other people. Like, I want everyone to win as much as I am. So yeah, big up to all the boys that are killing it right now. Yeah, and I think like um, from then to now, your live show has definitely gotten a lot better, a lot more energetic, and your stage has gotten a lot better as well, bro. Yeah, <laughs> I, I won't even lie. I sucked my first live show. I didn't even know what I was doing, bro. I was that guy, you know, the sound guys like, don't cup the mic. Yeah. I was like holding the mic like <laughs> this, like it's a bong, like screaming into it. Had no idea what was going on. Um, yeah, it's all about progression, and I think that I think part of my success and why I've had the elevation is I have the confidence to really just put myself out there and fail and then get better and come back again, you know what I mean? So I think some people really worry too much about the image or I don't want to do this right or wrong. I just go out there and know that the fans and people that are there for me, they live and die for my music, so it's my job to live and die for them as a performer and entertainer. And that's what I always remember. First and foremost, I'm an entertainer for the people. And that's my job. And take us through your live entourage, I guess, because every single time I see you, it seems to get bigger. You know, you got, you got Talakai who's on stage, obviously hyping with you and that. Yeah. And then you got your brother Brock, who's DJing. My brother's now my DJ, yes. My yeah. brother's officially my DJ. Talakai's my right-hand man. Pick up the Talakai. He holds down 
the backup for me. Um, yeah, the entourage is definitely growing. The more money that comes <laughs> in, the more homies I'm bringing to get fucked up. I'm a big believer in like, you know, if you're gonna make it out of the grassroots, you gotta carry that with you. I, I feel good, like it's a selfish thing in a way. I give to people and do charitable stuff and love putting on for people because it makes me feel better, it makes me feel good. So mm. yeah, as things are gotten bigger and the racks are getting higher per performance, the more people I'm gonna bring along. I brought my mum and dad to a show for the first time at FOMO, brought her Yeah, I saw that, yeah. It was a weird <laughs> feeling, because I was that, I was fucking going hard. Like, I'd been drinking all day before the set. And someone pointed out to me that the song before I brought my mum on, I motorboated some chick in the crowd and hooked yeah, up Yeah, I do remember her. that, yeah. And then next set, I'm like, now here's my mum, right here. And everyone's like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. you don't really think about that at the time, but you, you know, like. You were caught up in the moment. Yeah, that's right. Like, literally, <laughs> that's what I'm doing. And I hope that I can inspire everyone else to do that. Like. You and me, everyone in this room doesn't know if we're going to be here tomorrow. So you should just be caught up in the moment every day. You should be doing something you love and seeing my mum proud of me and seeing my friends and my brother get to come along to trips around the country. Um, we're going overseas soon, TBH speed wise. And yeah, those things are cool for me. So yeah, the entourage is probably going to get bigger. Soon there's going to be 50 motherfuckers at the back of the show. We're going to need a whole Meriton built on site just, just, <laughs> yeah. just to hold us all in there. <laughs> And I think a crucial part of your entourage over the past year or, or past couple of months that I've noticed, Forte at large. So tell us how Forte fits into the whole chilling it kind of um Forte's like the uncle I never had. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So like I've got so like my father and his brothers, like I've got family obviously, but there's never really been anyone in my family who's done anything out of the box. My family are all just hardworking motherfuckers, ground up. My mum's dad came here from Lebanon, opened a fruit shop, four daughters and grinded it up. So for me, I've never really had any knowledge or advice from someone who's doing what I'm trying to do. And when I met Forte for the first time, it was when I organised Get Bodied. So those, all those, no one really knows this, those Get Bodied festivals, mm. I worked two jobs, funded them myself, paid every artist mm. to be there, flew them all to my house from around the country. I'd never met them before. And that's how this whole scene really met, yeah. was from me. Some of them had already met before, but like for me, meeting all of them, that was from me doing that. And the first time I met Forte, we just spoke a language of like, Look, it's strictly like we're homies, but it's business. Like he understands money, I understand money. We both want to make stacks and that's how we kind of connected. So we started talking on a business tip and then from there, bro, he's just one of the funniest love. He's a gentle giant. Mm. He could knock the fuck out of me with his finger, <laughs> but he is the nicest, loveliest, best cunt ever. So now like, yeah, I've hired him part of the team. Again, being able to put on and give people legitimate money and jobs to put on their books. Um, he's a TM, he's a tour manager, comes along and gets whatever I need sorted. Like literally whatever I need sorted. If you saw my Instagram on my birthday, those titties were fucking huge. Like the man just sorts it out. <laughs> you can ask the man for anything and he will sort it out. And plug, he's just a lovely plug. dude as well. Yeah, he's just a plug. But he's also, he manages everything as well. He makes sure the shows are good, makes sure the sets are running smooth. Um, shout out to Forte. He's just like, he's, he's family now. Started off business and we both understand money. So it's always business motherfucker. And I can't wait to hustle you on UFC for some more money. But um, yeah, he's become like part of the family. He's like an uncle now. So the entourage, you know, you got Forte, uh, and you said Brock, who handles the decks for you now. But I do remember one show where um, on the decks you had Schemo. And that shit was iconic. That was probably <laughs> like, the best. I want to shout out Schemo one time, because he is the first kind I've ever seen fail a stage dive in person. Was that the one where he hit the barrier? Yeah, and he that hit was the huge. barrier. That but was... to his credit, like, bro, I've never seen a more painful thing. Mm. And I, I'm pretty sure Forte may have the video, and like, we should hit it up skis. Skis, if you're watching this, yeah. yeah, we need to air this out to the people because you're the hardest cunt for this. Like, the guy goes for the stage dive, tries to use the speaker as leverage. So, like, imagine a speaker, like, about this big, but you know how they're not set to the ground? Mm. They're just, like, loose. They're yeah. freestanding. <laughs> yeah, he tried to jump off that, and the speaker just caves out. 
He lands rib first on this metal pole, like yeah. bang, bounces off her. And to his credit, bang, like he did the biggest Adelaide storm straight back onto the stage <laughs> yeah. and continued like getting lit. He, I, I was actually impressed because me, I would have just fucking laid there. Yeah. I would have been like, I'm done, cut the set. Speaking of guys like Forte and Schemo, and you mentioned body bag before, so. Oh, sorry, I <laughs> popped the cherry on my jeans. Yeah, we don't want you on fire. Such a fucking rookie move. Fuck, is there a little bit left in that? Yeah, we're good. Make sure we keep that in, that was cracker. That was fucking good. Um, yeah, so we're talking about Forte and Schemo before, and then yeah. you just mentioned body bag. Um, so I think the interesting thing about you is that, you know, a lot of people probably know you from that body bag movement, because it was such an exciting thing at the time, and it was so yeah. much fun, you know? Shout out but, to London, um, by the way. Yeah, but, you know, you're on Hustle Hard too. You know, you have videos of you rapping over Eve and Gwen Stefani beats, you know, running bars days, you know? Oh my god, there's a few tracks on there, <laughs> yeah. there's a few tracks on there that are fucking terrible, and there's a few tracks on there that are still cult favourites. Man, yeah. that's just an example. And feel free for anyone who's only heard my new shit to go have a laugh at this if you want. I'm gonna put myself in a vulnerable position here. Go look up some of those tracks. Look up Chillin' It, um, Sydney We Go Hard. Look up Chillin' It, Rap Battle in the Park and see a 14 year old kid and you know what I mean? Like I was never, the person you see now, I didn't just fucking start rapping like that. Yeah. And I think some of those videos, even though they're so cringe and so funny and I've had- They're a the best. They're I've the had best. a few good laughs at <laughs> some of them, man, fuck. I think they're a testament to the fact that like, hard work pays off. Like if you stick with something and you work hard and you work hard and you work hard, you don't have to have a natural talent. You don't have to be lucky. Just bang, keep doing something and eventually you get good enough to get the rewards of it. I think that's yeah. the proof of it. But go have a laugh at those videos, they're cracker. <laughs> they're good. And I think that, um, you know, so much of what we see now in hip hop, especially, you know, underground stuff, yep. it all stems from, you know, the days of Hustle Hard and what Gunster was doing at, at that time. Yeah, he was one of the first ones, yeah. as far as I'm aware. To, to have that channel. And he birthed the cursor thing as well. Mm. And that's the thing, there's such a generational pass on, I feel like, it's not like a literal thing where someone passes on the guard, but like there's a name that fits the era of where that era grew. Yeah. And I feel like, so it started off with Lyrical Commission, just a name. And this is just me naming names I can name. Yeah, so Lyrical yeah. Commission is that first like, wow, they were smashing it, you know what I mean? Mm. Then you had the Hilltop Hoods and your Blissonessos and things like that. Then you had your 360s where it was the first solo artist, like, oh shit, like. Mm. And then you had Cursor where it was like, it was the first us. Yeah. It was the first just Aussie motherfucker, like it wasn't a certain type of way, it wasn't classic, it was just Aussie, it had an Aussie sound. Mm. And he was the first one, I think, to give light to the fact that he represents the era of independent artists coming up in Australia and there actually being a general subculture here. Mm. But I think now we're in this mad age where like, there is no name anymore that represents this era. It's just Aussie hip hop, like there's so many. Like Husky's the fucking, Husky and Wombat are like my favorites when it comes to just lyrics and shit. Look at 1-4, look at Hooligan Hefts, look at fucking HP Boys. Then you look at Young and Lips. I love that kind of music, that Misunderstood mm. song. I've had some good times with girls to that song. <laughs> Which one, Misunderstood? Yeah, yeah, that's a fucking <laughs> banger. That is so mm. good, you know what I mean? Mm. And like, you know what, 10 years ago, I reckon if that was to happen, that probably would have got shunned just because it wasn't Aussie. Exactly, But yeah. I feel like we're in this new place now, Triple One as well, where they're doing too, mm. where just like, there is no voice, there is no name, it's just Aussie hip hop's killing it. More diversity. Look at, the YouTube, look at the YouTube charts, look at the charts at the moment. It's riddled with hip hop names, riddled with people that are just us motherfuckers coming up. So I, I think that Australian hip hop is really about to hit that place where it's always wanted to go. And it's because of the hard work of everybody who's led to this point. And then now we're just the blessed ones who get to be the ones around at that time. And there'll be some motherfucker to kick me off my pedestal one day too. <laughs> and I'll be like, cheers to that. <laughs> well, I'll even you look at all the festivals now, it's just like, you know, 
a few years ago it would have been like, you know, you wanted two mainstays, you know, your Hilltop Hoods, your Bliss and Essos, and now it's like, all the festival bookers and promoters are going so much more grassroots. Yeah. You know, like Nerve Plane Falls Festival or, or Triple One getting put on, you know, all these well, other festivals or yourself getting on. If I'm being 100% you know. candid, like, it comes to a point where like, you know they're saying you can't beat them, join them? Mm. Like, they're looking for acts to book. We're talking business now, just from because I'm really about my business and shit when it comes to this stuff. A festival books a grassroots act like myself or Nerve because they can't afford to fly another fucking American artist over here to play at the 3pm slot. But if they put on this guy that they don't necessarily like, they don't necessarily understand, but they can see the numbers and go, we put this guy on at 3 o'clock and we're going to have an extra 600 cunts here. Mm. That's what they're going to do. So because of that determination and that everyone's had, like I was saying, from the future and, sorry, the past, they've all put that work in. Now, they have no choice. So where everyone's getting put on, everyone's getting this stuff. And I think yeah, you can't just, deny it any longer. Yeah, it's yeah, fucking, yeah the like numbers it's are there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like back in the day, because there was only one voice that would be, say, Hilltop Hoods with the Aussie hip hop name. Like you could still deny certain things. You could go, it's just one artist, you know what I mean? But now to have so many artists charting, so much noise getting made, they've got no choice. And the ball is just going to snowball and start rolling. It's how England had it, it's how America had it, and now it's Australia's turn. That's just my two cents anyway. Um, so going to back to what we were saying about Hustle Hard TV, I think looking back on it, so much of that shit is just purely iconic. So who are some of your favourite artists or some of your favourite songs or moments from that era? Oh man, there's a few. I feel like the, the first Cursor Freestyle was hectic. Over the Outcast song? Cur um, nah, nah, I know the one you're talking about, yeah. that was another Miss one. Miss Jackson, not that one. Nah, nah, the first one in the studio with Nebs and Yep, we pop anything, Xanax and then mm, yeah. Cursor's in the club and I'm the sick. <laughs> like that one, just, that was just mad. That was the first real one take experience I'd seen from an Australian. And then, oh, what else was on Hustle Hard? The Schema and, and Gunster beef was just like mm. interesting to me. It was like the first beef clash that I saw like within the country kind of thing. And that's why my stance on all that has kind of been not to get involved because when I was around, because I was around during each era, you know, like I was there, I was rapping, dropping songs when Cursor put that stuff out. Mm. I was rapping, doing body bag stuff when everyone was on body bag and I'm still continuing now. So I've been around a couple of eras to learn stuff as I go. Yeah. And what I saw with that beef is like it benefited nobody. And they were both like mates at the end of the day. And they both still should be mates. And I'm pretty sure, I, I'm not too sure, but I'm pretty sure they do speak now. But yeah. at the end of the day, I just saw nobody benefit from that. And I saw how many rappers in America get stuck into that beef shit. And at the end of the day, it ends with one guy losing either or people ending up dead. Mm. So like I've just come to a point where like, man, like why do we rap? Like I rap because I love art and I rap because I want to make a fuckload of money and live that life that I want to live. So what the fuck do I benefit from? Like, like rap's not a sport. Like I ain't out here trying to verse you in a fucking rap song. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I beat you bro. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> wait, let me do more syllables than you in yeah. this 30 second acapella scheme and see who's better, like, you know? Yeah. And respect to all of that shit, but just like, I saw that happen with Hustle Hard and was like, even though it was fun to watch, mm. it didn't benefit either of them career-wise. Mm. So now that I'm an artist taking my career seriously, I steer away from that. Um, respect to the Roddy and Wombat thing, because that, that was pretty <laughs> funny to watch too. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I was, there, I was there on the day and it was a bit, yeah, I was looking at the floor for a lot of the time, it was a bit I feel bad weird. for Roddy. Yeah, so do I, but 
Yeah, but like... Um, when you instigate things, it's, sometimes that's what happens. Yeah, but you know what? See what happened with Wombat Butt? See how now every motherfucker's trying to call out Wombat for a clash because it's like a clout thing? Mm. Welcome to 2020 where every... Like, we grew up in an era where we were lucky enough to grow up without phones and without technology. Yeah. And then we watched it get brought in so we can distinguish the difference. Mm. Like, these kids don't know shit except fucking Instagram. Like, they're just out here trolling every motherfucker and causing havoc for everybody. Like, mm. for Wombat, when he did that clash, every little wannabe rapper now is going to message Wombat trying to get a clash. You know what I mean? Because it benefits them. Mm. And that's another reason just why I stay out of it. Like, fuck that. Let the music talk. Let the numbers talk. Like... Yeah. Go do, go be number one urban, number one digital, number two aria, number one iTunes, seven million streams and counting on your album in fucking less than a week and let that be the reason you say you're better, like, don't, don't bother beefing with anybody and I just genuinely don't have beef with nobody, like, I'm a lover, not a fighter, I couldn't give a flying fuck, <laughs> last thing I want to yeah. do is punch someone in the head or get punched in the head, I will if I have to, yeah. but like, I don't, I, I, you know what I mean, I want everyone to win, yeah. I hope that, I, I honestly hope someone beats me and gets number one. Because I got number two on Aria, and I, as far as I'm aware, apart from 60 or the big names like that, no one from our scene has popped that number yet. But I hope someone does it. I hope Wombat drops his album and goes bang number one. I hope Young and Loops does it somewhere. But at the end of the day, fuck a chart anyway. Like I'm yeah. trying to say, like the reason I want everyone to win is because as long as I'm providing, I'm comfortable. I couldn't care less if someone's doing more, triple than me, half of me, whatever. I hope everyone wins. I hope we can all benefit. We should all be doing shows. I'd love to see like everyone just come together and do a sick festival, like split the money, get someone to run it, and you know, like we'd kill it mm. if the whole scene just came together and did this fat ass tour around the country. I think it's only a matter of time before someone jumps on that idea, hey. Yeah, but yeah. you know what? We should do it instead yeah. of some motherfucker who doesn't understand where we've come <laughs> from with a suit and tie and a business degree coming and going, I've got a mad idea, mm. and then offering us all money. Like we should all just come together and someone, you know what I mean? Mm. We should all learn business. I don't know, I'm faded as fuck. <laughs> Um, so having lived through and rapped through, you know, the body bag era as well as the hustle hard kind of era of rap, what are some of the similarities and differences between the two, do you think? Between hustle hard and body bag? Yeah. Just the internet changes. Like the internet's, like I was saying about the generational gap, like when hustle hard was around, like the internet was still a reasonably new thing. Not like new as in the internet, but like YouTube and like kids yeah. being held like active with accounts and MySpace and social media and Bebo, like, mm. that was something that came around the same time as Hustle Hard, so it was fairly new. You still had to Bluetooth tracks to people and shit. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. right. I still remember one of the first songs I ever had, shout out to Enter with this, was Green Line Rocket. Huge. I remember that. Best hook my mate Elliot Bancroft <laughs> yeah. sent it to me on a fucking Bluetooth, and I had it on my Nokia, and I didn't even have headphones at the time, and I would be walking home from high school, but these chains of water used to get away from daily stress when I fucking, I yeah. knew every single word to it. Mm. You know what I mean? So, like, Back then, though, that was how you could get it. Mm. When Body Bag came around, YouTube was a common thing, Facebook was a common thing, every motherfucker was on it. All it takes is the right status, right time, right market, and bang, you can pop. Now, with 1-4, myself, Husky, Young and Lips, like all these guys creating different sub-genres and cultures, Triple One, it's expanded heaps now. Mm. I, I could confidently say there's someone in every single country in the world who's on top of Aussie hip-hop and understands it. Between kind of the hustle hard era and the body bag era, you kind of went away for a little bit out of the limelight, away from the rap stuff. Yeah. So what happened in that period and what motivated you to come back and do those three tracks with Talico? I just went and got a job. Like, I don't know, like I was just going through shit in my life. Like when I was, without getting too detailed, when I was like 17, turning 18, I, like my mum and dad are together, you know what I mean? They've always been together. I don't have rich parents or poor parents, I don't have a good life or a great life, I just have an average Aussie life, you know what I mean? 
and I was just a stupid fucking kid and a little arrogant asshole as a child and got stuck in the wrong crowd and thought I was better than my family and just got heavily involved in drugs. So by 17, I remember I spent my birthday in rehab because I was living at a home, I overdosed at my mate's house, um, who I still know to this day, still talk to him. Um, and my mum had to get me from hospital and part of going home was I had to go to rehab. It was either go to rehab or go back and live at the fucking house you were doing what you were just doing at and because I was living there for about a month and that was my options. So I went to rehab and after that, I don't know, in rehab I learned that rap and drugs and the street culture was what was triggering me to do the drugs. So I just went and worked. I did an air conditioning mechanic trade. I did it for four years. Um, and right when I was about to finish it, I just, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. It was my birthday. I was out with my brother at a Wiley gig. Mm. Wiley came and did a show at, fuck, some type of uni. What, what are some of the uni? Manning Bar. Manning Bar, yeah, yeah. Uni, the, yeah, the one yeah. in, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. He did a show at Manning Bar. And I went and saw that. And I remember the day before it, I recorded One Breath, One Take, and I didn't like it. I thought it was shit, I was going to go redo it. And I said to my brother, you know what, fuck it, this year I'm quitting my job and I'm going to go 100% of my life and I'm just going to see how I go if I give everything I have to this. And I dropped one breath, one take the next day. Mm. And that was it. That was it? Yeah, that was it. I worked, I worked for ages and just had this epiphany decision and dropped one breath, one take. I, was do, I did get bodied yeah. in those tracks with Tala just strictly because I met Tala and he was a cool dude. We linked up. I saw his video rapping and I was like, that's mad. And um, I just linked up with him and did those get body tracks. And from there, yeah, one breath, one take was when I quit my job and decided, bang, I'm going at it. Mm. And it's so crazy, because if you talk to my fans, they tell you that that's the track where they were like, oh, that's the one that blew up, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, that's why I believe it's all in here. Because when I decided that that was the moment, for some fucking reason, go ask all my fans, and that's the track that they listen to the most. Mm. Yeah, the progress is crazy, because I remember those three get body tracks came out with Tala. And then you guys were supporting Ivan Ooze and doing, you know, like little club shows around Sydney and stuff. And then obviously now it's like I remember a whole rapping to league. like ten people sometimes, and it's so yeah. hard it's <laughs> because the ten of them aren't even there because you're there. They're just there because they're hella fucking fans of the band that's playing later. Yeah, and you're just there rapping to no one. But you know what? I would still perform like as best as I could. Mm. But yeah, me and Tala, and Tala's such a G, and that's why Tala, no matter where I go in life, no matter how much time I get to see the dude, no matter where I go or anything that happens. He's always going to be my right-hand man that does, that does my shit with me. And it's not because I look at him as a hype man, I look at him as a talented artist as me, but he's just my G. Like when I came back from doing music, me and him did shows together, and I picked back that energy that I had back in the day while I was working with him. So like, as someone that I consider myself humble and real and respectful, like, that's it. He comes with me no matter where we go now. Mm. That's just how it is. And speaking about live shows, you've got... He's still your... a pussy, but he still didn't come and bend for my birthday. Pussy. Newcastle's pretty far. It's a long train ride. <laughs> it's not that far. What is there to do in Newcastle? Come to Sydney, it's late. Um, Jim's Dairy. It's a good milkshake store next time you go there. Really? Yeah. Have you ever been? Yeah. <laughs> I, go, actually... I go all the time. Oh, yeah, I was there with you. You, that, yeah. you played the show with me with Triple One. And speaking about live shows, um, you got your own headline tour coming up this year and I believe some international stuff too. Yeah. So, um, what's going on with that? Um, yeah, we're going over to London and doing New Zealand as well. Um, it's gonna be like the Tri-Nations, so like the Ashes was the first tour. <laughs> and now we've got the Tri-Nations, we're gonna do England, New Zealand, Australia. Um, we're gonna go all around, do overage, underage. And that's just because like, I feel like that's where the two, you know what's funny? Like United States is my second highest Spotifying stream country. 
Mm. But I feel like the UK and New Zealand, there's a genuine 420 family. Like there's a family over there the same that's here, like the way I feel it here. So yeah, we're gonna go do some UK and New Zealand shit and um, tickets are dropping soon. I'm very high right now, so I couldn't tell you what dates, but just <laughs> soon. We'll put it at the bottom on it. Yeah, I'll give it to you. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll pass it on to Kev, and Kev will put it at the bottom. Yeah, Happy we'll, days. we'll leave that to the editor. Yeah, well, I feel like the UK and New Zealand, even though like America speaks English as well, mm. I feel like Australia, UK, and New Zealand, we just share a bit of a common. I couldn't even explain the Commonwealth to you what it connection. Is. Yeah. yeah, the Commonwealth <laughs> Bank. I don't know what it is, but just like we all just kind of, you know, like we understand each other a bit more. Like mm. Americans, they hear our accents and we're all the same to them. Like UK, Australia, and New Zealand, they don't even know the difference. Like yeah. it's all the same. One of those countries, you know what I mean? But like we speak that same language and we're. Uh, Anzacs, for example, New Zealand are our brothers. Like shout out to anyone from NZ, you know what I mean? Like I can't wait to go over there as well. And then the UK, like yeah, Grom took over. Like. Fuck, I'm such a Stormzy fan. I froth Stormzy. Like, Skepta absolutely killed his shit. Um, Dot Rodden absolutely kills it. Alex Jones from Australia. Like, let's just fucking, let me just clarify something loud and clear for the first time on camera ever. Alex Jones is the best rapper in this country, period. It's just that he hasn't put out music in a long time. All it would take for him to do is put out music. You know what I mean? Mm. And that's up to him what he wants to do. He, like, well, he's a fucking G. If he wants to put it out, he'll put it out. If he doesn't, he doesn't. And when he's ready, he will. But, like, that motherfucker with grime, like he, he the reason for all of this shit, like man. I remember the first time I put out Bad Boy with him, and man, he was a G, like he came down from Melbourne, he stayed at my house with my fam. Man, I went and saw him at Melbourne, stayed with his family as well, like, he, he's a fucking, like man, you just can't deny it. If you haven't heard the LG Cypher, if you type in LG, E-E-Z, and then Cypher, with Sana and him, mm. It's, the, it's fucking so good. He's a big reason that Grime took a hold over here as well. Like the UK started Grime, but Alex was just the one, like, man. He was the guy that I looked at when I was at work and I wasn't rapping anymore. And I was like, man, mm. fuck, I want to be that good. You know what I mean? Like he, he's talented as fuck. So obviously we moved on from the live stuff from this year, FOMO and all that. And obviously the other big thing that happened this year was the Octagon. Mm -hmm. Debuted at number two, so Huge congratulations for that, because an independent hip-hop artist doing that, it's pretty fucking crazy. So tell us your reaction, you know, the day it dropped at midnight, seeing the numbers go up and eventually getting that chart placement. Yeah, I was pretty, I was pretty gassed. I was pretty excited. I remember feeling like, because I remember speaking with Nick, so like with my management team, so I'm speaking with Nick and the rest of the guys. Um, and the top five was like modest and we were thinking, you know, like even the top 10, like whatever, and we just, you know, when it dropped and I saw the streams rolling in at that like million, two million, three million in that first 24 hours. And I remember the first one doing like three million in a week. And I remember doing um, 500 hard copies on the first Women Weed and Wordplay within a month. No, 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 not a month, like two weeks actually. Mm. And then we did another 500 and over the month we did a thousand. We did like 1050 pre-orders, like you know what I mean? Let alone what sold after the album dropped. So for me, this album's just been such an experience and there's mixed opinions about it like you know what i mean for example i put out overdrive part two just as a, a one take we slapped that together for jdz and just smashed that out and there's people that love that that just love the aggressive raw energy but for me the octagon like women weed and wordplay i did that i dropped 15 tracks that are just fucking bars mm. yeah there's inner thoughts and the occasion and then um the last track that are occasionally have a concept but to me the octagon is like a a story and a project of my life and how it's been since I've come into the spotlight. Cause it's not fucking easy. Like, and 
it's an up and down type of lifestyle. And I feel like the album represented that. It was an up and down type of album. Mm. It was one minute it's up here with 230 pounds, next minute it's down here and it's love is hard, next minute it's in the middle, it's laying low. Next minute it's soulmates and strippers and it's switching up. Then it's the ending track and it's fucking straight 90s style, you know what I mean? Mm. I wanted it to be a project, so. It's been mixed reactions from my core fans, but from a numbers perspective, yeah, it's the best I've ever done and the best that's been done in a while, as far as I'm aware. So, um, yeah, I'm fucking, I'm cheering. And like you were saying with the album, that's what I like about it. You know, you have one minute, you have this kind of like rap bravado, you know, strippers, test match. And then the next, you kind of got the more melodic, melancholy stuff. And it's, you know, experiencing the lows of that whole lifestyle. So with this lifestyle that you're kind of like, expressing in your music and living. How do you think you're going to approach that as you become a more serious musician? Because, you know, no one really wants to see you burn out, you know what I'm saying? It's, 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 a, it's not an easy lifestyle to live. Not that I know, but I'm just nah, assuming. I, <laughs> yeah. I can definitely vouch for that. And, man, fuck, that's a very real question. Like, man, I'm going to just hit you with the honesty. Like, it's a lifestyle that everybody... You ever have something in your life that you think about, like, you know when you're just sitting there and someone puts you, that gives you this scenario and you go, you can't even imagine what it would like to be like that, but the best thing you can do is answer to what you think you would do. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it's like to be in this situation. Like, you're rapping since you're 14 years old, like, you know, you're, you're 25 years old this year. You start sitting there and you're going, wait a minute, all of a sudden, you genuinely have a number one urban album on the ARIA chart, you're number one on iTunes, You've done seven million fucking streams in a week on your album. You're dropping a one take here. You just dropped a tape with Husky, that charted as well. You had a number one album that's done 80 million streams now since it dropped. These things start to register for you. It's, um, it's something that takes a toll on your life just because your life changes so dramatically and people say money changes you. And I feel like money changes the people around you. And that's kind of what changes you because if your life changed today, Kevin would change too, you know what I mean? Mm. So I think it's one of those things that I've adapted to as I go, but, but yeah. We'll see what happens. Oh, who gives an arc? I'm just rapping. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just doing my thing. I'm just fucking rapping. And what's your favorite track off the record? I really like the last one, but Soulmates and Strippers, I would say, is just lyrically the best one of it. The beat switch. Yeah, just yeah, just the way I like. I just like the way it switches. But you know what? The 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 overdrive one I did the other night, I fucking really liked the wordplay in that. I say that's my best wordplay. Yeah. Well, my favorite track off the record was uh, what was it called the interlude one. Mama, the interlude. Yeah. Um, you know, like you were saying, a lot of fans appreciate the more bar-driven stuff. For me, like I like the more melodic, melancholy stuff. You know, and I think that was an interesting one because. You know, like you said, your mum came to the FOMO show. She's got to be seeing what you're doing and, and the numbers and, and the crowds. But, you know, in that song, you talk about, you know, your mum being worried, you coming home with bags around your eyes and, and doing this and that. So, especially as life gets busier, how do you think you're going to maintain, you know, a really pure relationship with your mum? Because, you know, like you were saying, there's some things that she's worried about nowadays. Yeah, 100%. I feel like, uh, as, a, as a man, like, and shout out to my mum. She the MVP. She the reason for just... Period, me right here, my mum, end of story, without her I'm nothing. But I think as a man, like you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do in life and you gotta provide for yourself. And I remember my mum, like my mum seen what I went through, you know what I mean? And I put my mum through hell and back, like when I had to go to rehab and she had to pick me up from a hospital. I, mean, I remember sitting there like, fuck, I'm gonna just be candid as with you. Like I remember sitting there with a fucking tin foil thing around myself, cause I'm a 17 year old, just overdosed on MDMA. And I'm in the hospital 
woke up in the hospital, hooked on machines. I fucking end up pulling the shit out. I end up sitting there with this tinfoil thing because I refuse to go back in. My mum picks me up. Seeing your mum go through that as a kid and then finally getting a bit older and becoming a man and thinking about what that's like for your mother to go through, like to be in the position right now where like through rap and through the life that I've lived, I can, you know, give my mum $10,000 just for the fuck of it. I can go buy her Louis shit. I can hook her up with anything I can. I can, instead of being a burden, I can be like a, a blessing. Like for me, that's, that's all it's about. Like that's, that's the best thing ever. So I think that even though the lifestyle, I might not be able to see her as much. For me, knowing that instead of being that burden and that letdown, she's so proud. She gets to drive past fucking billboards mm. when she goes to work. She goes to F45 in the morning and does her fucking workouts at like six in the morning. And they did a week where they had her, my music on because the album dropped. Mm. You know what I mean? Crazy. <laughs> yeah, that shit for her means, means the fucking world. So, yeah, yeah. And you talk about your mum driving past, chilling at billboards. Um, that's got to be another kind of milestone. You know, you get gold plaques, you get billboards. Must be pretty crazy driving past seeing yourself on that because yeah. not that many rappers do that, especially in Australia. Yeah, it was know? weird. It was a weird feeling. I remember seeing it. It was pretty cool. It was something interesting to see. But it was just nice for my mum and for my family and like my little brothers. And now I've got, I've got little brothers that are like 12, 13, going into high school. So mm. to have that near our house and they get to drive past it and see my face, that was cool. Mm. It was a pretty nice thing to see. The only other person I know with billboards in Australia is Gucci Smoothie. He's got a couple of billboards in Perth. So shout out to Gucci Smoothie, shout, shout out, out Street Gucci X. Smoothie. I'm pretty sure Briggs did <laughs> a billboard. There's your free plug. Didn't Briggs do a billboard? Like, Briggsy? Uh, yeah, I he swear. He probably I, did. Uh, Not that many Something though, about pulling <laughs> it. Oh, I swear, I don't know. I could be wrong. But I swear Briggs did some type of billboard. Hmm. I'm pretty sure. It was on TV. Can you confirm that, Nick? I think he did a One Nation. Yeah, like a J-app at oh, the One Nation thing. Oh, yeah, he yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> Nah, but he just, yeah, he just, like, he did a billboard, yeah. He did a, he did a little one-off, yeah. Okay, now we're going to get into, I think, a couple of situations that fans may have seen on social media, and I think they probably wanted a story behind. So, uh, the first one, the Wish You Well video with the half-decapitated fucking toe. What happened there? <laughs> well, I can't be fucked taking my shoe off, but yeah, nah. Husky, we eventually ended up watching the footage, and Husky chucked the bottle. At the ground. <laughs> it was him. <laughs> it was like an accident at the time. <laughs> and then fucking, yeah, and then he ended up chucking the bottle. And it ended up being hectic for the clip, so fuck it, I'll take the cut. But yeah, like I ended up splitting my toe. There was um, a lot of blood there. I remember yeah, the day yeah, I was it like, was a big fucking. Cut. <laughs> I could pull the scar out right now. And the now. fire alarm was yeah. going off at the same time. Yeah, the and fire everyone, alarm no one knew what was going on. on. Yeah, no, this is all, that was real shit. And I think that popped so much because that was real shit. Wombat vomited, like Wombat projectiles. Like, there was a lot of vomit like, on like the footage at one Like, point. this is the most genuine, that wasn't like a. Like, like, you know how some people acting for, that wasn't acting, bro. The only people acting were the people as the reporters. Everyone else was fucking lit as fuck. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was great. So you cleared that up, time. that was in the change room. Projectile bottle, that's how the toe yeah, happened. Yeah, and I split my toe, and after I split my toe, we wrapped it up, and the filmer was like, oh man, how are we gonna do these next scenes? And I go, fuck it. Just wrap my toe up, put it in ice, and they can just get lit around me while I sit here. Did you go to the hospital after that? And, no, I think I went the next day. <laughs> I think I had partied on a bit through the night. Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be right. Yeah, it was sweet at that point. <laughs> the pain had gone away. I'd had a few more drinks. It was sweet. Husky said it in the film clip, you won't die from a cut from a bleeding toe. You'll be eight. <laughs> Husky always knows the best. Husky knows the best. <laughs> Husky knows. Shout out to Husky. And the other situation that um, fans are probably wondering or trying to get a little bit more insight into is the Thailand situation. Because I remember I was with Bill and Marty at that day and we were like, 
Googling, being like, does Thailand have the firing squad? Like, what the fuck is going <laughs> no, on right like, now? That's, it wasn't that, bro. Like, that's what I mean. People were making it a lot worse. And the, the funny part about it, of the whole thing, is that, like, I was there and I was partying at the time. And because I was dropping freedom, like, everyone thought it was a stunt. <laughs> and I can even see where the correlation was drawn there too. Like I've got a song called Freedom coming out. Next thing you know, it's a Daily Mail article. Like, chillin' it wants to be free. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it just looked like a JR. But genuinely, yeah, like, we just... Yeah, that was fucked up. I spent a night in a cell in Thailand. And that was just, like, my European holiday for Tomorrowland and Amsterdam and Ibiza and Mykonos. All those parts were great. And then when I went to Thailand, it just kind of went downhill a bit. And, yeah. I think that kind of helped write the album too, though. A lot of the emotion and experience that comes out in the octagon stems from some of the things I was feeling while I was going through that, so... You're glad yeah. to be home. If you know Thailand, <laughs> illusions, oh... You're at illusions every single night of the week, just on Bangalore, just getting off your fucking head, it's terrible. Don't go to Thailand. Any final words for the Chillin' It fans out there? Stay high, stay blessed, stay listening to the music, and, uh, I'm very faded. <laughs>